Morning, good morning. How you doing? So did you notice that uh, little blonde girl that was singing? You know, that's Lori Harris. That's Johnny's. Did she do a fantastic job? I think that was the first time she had ever sung publicly. And, you know, so, wow. So great job, Lori. She can't hear us. I think she's back there, you know, working with Johnny now. For her, where she, oh, there she is. There she is. She's easy to not see. We're, it's a great job, Lord. Thank you. I'm not trying to embarrass you, but you did fantastic. Okay. So we're talking about, in this series, we're talking about changes and change until it's changed. What we're doing is we're looking at how, how uh, the Holy Spirit manifests in us the fruit of the Spirit and how, how, that, how that works, how it's accomplished. And a lot of times we try, and what works in a lot of ways is what we would call moral reformation. It's and more reformation is not bad. It's one of the reasons that people do good things. People who don't know God do good things. They, I think it's good for people to tell the truth. They say that a lot of people lie. There's a very high percentage of people that lie consistently. It's, so it's good for people to know to tell the truth, right? Would you agree with that? Or it's good not to steal. Have you ever, had, have you ever been burglarized? It's just that, how devastating that feels when you walk in your house and you realize somebody's been in my house. And they've messed up with stuff. They mess with stuff. It's horrible. Uh, don't kill. I think we can all agree that's a good one, right? Uh, don't commit adultery. Of all the commandments, it's still, believe it or not, the world system still agrees. Believe it or not, the world system still agrees that adultery is wrong because it's a violation of, of a commitment contract. And then honor your parents. Those, you know, and we can go on and on. Uh, and so if we can keep the law, we can keep these laws, and it's good to keep those laws, but it's not true transformation. It, it's good to do it, but it's not transformation. Most people follow the law, even most of us, we follow the law because of consequences. I mean, how fast would you drive if there was no speed limit? Or if there was a speed limit, but there were no consequences? They've, they've even tried in several, I think even here in Dallas County, they, they said they weren't going to prosecute theft crimes that were under like $750. So what that's like saying, anybody who wants to steal $750, come on in. Uh, so, so, that, so people who don't have any restraint, who don't have the law, they do that because there's no consequences. Transformation, on the other hand, comes not from the fear of being caught or being found out or from consequences, but from a changed heart. And that's what we want to see. We, as believers in Christ, want to see transformational change. So Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It is one fruit manifested in different ways, but it is one fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. To be operating truly in the fruit of the Spirit is to not be good in some of these and bad in some of these. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is, is all of them. It's all of them working together. It's the manifestation of every attribute of basically of love. So spiritual transformation doesn't come from looking to the law and trying our best to conform. That's our temptation. So we, we think about things. We think, have you ever thought, I, I need to be more patient? Anybody here ever thought that? And so 
if we want to try to be more patient, our way to do it is that often we try to do it not by transformation by the Spirit, but by the law. So we actually apply the law in a New Testament manner. So we, it's not a bad thing to do, and it can work by the Spirit in your heart, but we would maybe take all the, all the Bible verses that have to do with patience, and maybe we'd memorize those, and maybe you'd take you know, one about really being patient and put, put on the dash of your car so when people cut you off in traffic... You could reach for the, your Bible and not your handgun, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so you would be patient. Uh, so that's important. But even though we would do that and that would help us, it's often short term. Because it doesn't bring about transformation of the heart. You're just transforming your behavior. And it looks good for a while. I mean, it's, but it's hard to maintain. True spiritual transformation, we find, comes from not looking to the law, but looking to Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, we've used this verse, we've looked at this every week, so I want you to get this. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So Jesus, by his word, and the Spirit transforms us as we look at Jesus. What's, how are we transformed? We look at Jesus. Well, he is the Word. We look at Jesus. We look at what he's done. He transforms us by the Spirit. John 16, this is what Jesus said. When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine... And will disclose it to you. So the Holy Spirit is going to take what is God's. Because God has what is Jesus's. Jesus has what is God's. He's going to take what is God's and will disclose it to you. In other words, he's going to bring you transformational information, insight. So that we can change. All things that the Father has reminded, therefore I said he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. So this is the work of the Holy Spirit. So here's what we're looking at in this, these weeks as we talk about change. The work of the Holy Spirit is to make Christ real to us above all things. Because often we realize unreal things are real to us and the real things are not real to us. For example is, you know, someone could have, when you were, you could... Maybe you were a teenager in, in puberty, those formative years. Those are tough years. Being in puberty is tough. And someone, maybe, maybe a coach or a teacher, maybe your parents said, you know, you're, you're stupid. Or you're not ever going to make it. Just somebody spoke something into your heart and you, you believed it. And so now, after years and years of evidence that you're not an idiot or that you're not worthless, still that echoes in your mind. So that unreal thing is real to us. But the real truth that God loves you and God thinks you're amazing and incredible, so much so that he wanted you and his family and he chose you before the foundation of the world, that real truth becomes unreal to us and we believe the unreal and reject the real. So we need the Holy Spirit to work within us so that we can see real transformation. 
So how are we going to be faithful? We're talking about faithfulness today. So God transforms us by looking at the faithfulness of Jesus. We're going to look in the mirror of Jesus. We're going to see his faithfulness. And as we focus on that, so instead of reading Bible verses about faithfulness, if we look to how Jesus was faithful, that can be for us transformational. Mark chapter 14, verse 32. You're going to be familiar with this. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane the night before he dies. They came to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. He's already beginning to experience the weight of what is happening, the, the reality of separation from God and the punishment for sin is coming upon him. It didn't just, just happen on the moments of the cross. It's beginning, it's beginning to happen, and he's grieving. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you, Remove this cup from me, and yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, you knucklehead. I added that part. Are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Anybody ever experienced that? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, let your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time. After he'd gone and prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he said to them, are you still sleeping? It's enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed in the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. So what is faithfulness? The dictionary defines faithfulness as the concept of remaining loyal to someone or something, putting that loyalty into consistent practice regardless of extenuating circumstances. Faithful at all times. Faithfulness is one of the characteristics of God. God is faithful. I'm always amazed. It moves me. It touches my heart to think about God's faithfulness in my life. Have you thought about how faithful God has been to you? That how great is his faithfulness? Psalm 105 says, For the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says this, Faithfulness is one of the characteristics of God's ethical nature. It denotes the firmness or constancy of God in his relations with men, especially with his people. God is faithful to his word. God is faithful to his people. But we see here, the disciples were not very faithful. He found them sleeping, and he found them sleeping three times. They slept through the hour of his grief. The spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. Faithfulness has a lot to do with relationships. A faithful friend is someone who is there all the time, not just some of the times. And I had a good example of this just recently. Had a friend who moved recently, 
And uh, he, had, he had a friend that he had helped move a couple of times. So he tried to call in a debt. Right? So he called his friend and said, hey, I'm, I need to move. And, you know, remember, I helped you move a couple of times. Uh, he didn't say that, but he was thinking it, you know. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm moving at this specific date in the future. And the, the person said, absolutely, I'll be there. You can count on me. So he said, I'm putting it in my calendar. But on that date of the move, he didn't show. And he sent a text. See, isn't a text convenient because you don't actually have to see anybody or talk to anybody. You can just bail almost anonymously. He sent a text and said, uh, I'm not going to be able to come. I've made other plans. How convenient, right? He may have had the best of intentions, but intention without follow-through is unfaithfulness. Personally, I don't know about you, but I always try to have other plans when someone's moving. Uh, I learned a long time ago. Faithfulness means we are there in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, convenience and inconvenience, sickness and in health. Jesus was faithful because he was there when he didn't want to be there. The Spirit is willing. We all want this. We all want to be people of faithfulness. We, we want to say what we mean and mean what we say. We want to follow through. But the flesh is weak and too often pressure or even now today just inconvenience or a better plan. I mean, if you put moving on the list, just about anything beats moving. Just about, I mean, you know, hernia surgery is like... Is better than moving. <laughs> Any surgery. Too often, we, but too often in, today in our culture, we, it's hard to get people to commit because they're, they're keeping their options open to the last minute because there may be a better offer that comes along. Why does Mark even record this? I mean, think about this. One of the things I believe about the Word of God, and I believe that the Word of God is the Word of God, is because... If I was going to write the story of the disciples, and I was one of the disciples writing the story, I'd make myself look better. Wouldn't you? I, and here, they just, they just write the, just the bare truth that they're just not faithful. They're just sleeping. They, you know, here he is in this urgent hour. They can tell he's in distress. He's in great sorrow. And their grief is so overcoming them that they can't participate and help him through his grief. Why does Mark display this? I think because it's us. Can you think of all the times you said you would do something, but you didn't do it? We're a lot like them. I think that's why this portion of Scripture is so important, because it shows us how much we're like them. Jesus was faithful when everything in him wanted to escape the cup of God's wrath. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible to you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you what you will. He prayed this three times. He prayed it intensely. Hebrews 2, 17 says, therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest of things pertaining to God to make propitiation, full and complete payment for the sins of the people. The cup is a metaphor of God's judgment. Listen to what Jonathan Edwards said in his sermon, Christ's Agony. 
The greatest act of fidelity in the history of all the universe happened when Jesus Christ looked at those men falling asleep on him and could have said to himself, why should I, infinitely greater than all the angels of heaven, greater than all the kings of the earth, why should I take this burning agony into my heart and soul and cast myself into this eternal furnace for those who will never repay me or profit me one iota, who cannot even stay awake with me for one hour, why should I take them and take for them an eternity of punishment. But he did not say that. He said, yes, Father, I will. Yes, Father, I will. Yes, Father, I will. And I don't believe he whispered it. I believe he shouted it because the disciples heard it at a distance and wrote it down. That he made clear Because this was not just the son's cup. This was also the father's cup as he watches his son take on for us immeasurable suffering. You see, Jesus died a death like no other. No one has ever died like this. He died, and in his death, he bore in his body every sin that has ever been sinned and ever will be sin. Every sin. He bore it on the cross. Every death. The Bible says he tasted death for every man. So he died your death on the cross so that when you die as a believer, he says, if you believe in me, you'll never die. He took your death so when you die, you step into the presence of God. Jesus, for believers, turned death into a doorway. And we step into the glorious majesty and presence of God because Jesus took our death. But not only that, he took our deserved eternal punishment. I don't know how God rolled all every sin that's ever been sinned on Jesus at the moment of his death. I don't know how Jesus died our death, but I know that he did. But he also, at the same time, took all our eternal punishment, the The nature of eternal punishment is unquenchable fire. But that's just part of it. The real basis of eternal punishment is separation from God. Away from the presence of of God. None of us have ever experienced anything remotely like being away from the presence of God. We, we, We live under the shadow of every moment, under the goodness and presence of God in every moment. We don't Even believers don't recognize it. The world that they're living in is borrowed. The breath that they're breathing is borrowed. It all belongs to God. It's all from his goodness. Every moment of life you have belongs to God. It's precious. It's glorious because it's his. And we don't realize that. And the worst thing that could ever happen is to be separated from God. And Jesus took our separation and the separation of everyone who ever lived and ever will live, their eternal punishment, their separation from God. In that moment, he was so faithful, he took that for us. And if you love someone, watching them suffer causes you to suffer. Jesus didn't suffer alone. Even the Father suffered. I don't know. I I think one of the worst sufferings you'll ever have as a parent is to see your children suffering. Nothing hurts 
like watching your children hurt. And can you imagine that God willingly put his son through this and he did it for us? This cup of judgment, this cup of sin, this cup of death, this cup of eternal punishment, he drank it all. Why? 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 (laughs) For us. He did it for us. Pitiful, feckless, fearful, weak followers who will continually fall asleep in the darkest hour. He did it for us to transform us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. His faithfulness is the basis of our faithfulness. His faithfulness, as we see it, as we look to the glory of Christ, is transformational. It has the power to renew our minds to be, so that we would be changed by the renewing of our minds. I love this, 1 John 1, 9, talking about his faithfulness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So he will forgive us all our sins. He has forgiven us all our sins. He is faithful and he's just. So you think about when we go to God, we don't have to say, please, God, forgive my sins. Oh, God, one more time. I've messed up again. Would you have mercy on me and forgive my sins? Because he's faithful and he's just. And we're forgiven based on the justice of God. Just think about this, just this little scenario in heaven. Say, Father, today we have uh, Randy Hewitt with us with sin number 8,500. Uh, yes, that's this year. Uh, yes, uh, he's a repeat offender. Yes. But Jesus, my intercessor, did you know that he ever lives to make intercession for us? Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us? He's my faithful high priest, so he says, Father, I don't ask for mercy for Randy, but I ask for justice. And you think, ooh, wait a minute. Uh, you know, I would be in the background saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't want justice. I want mercy. And because I got mercy. But Jesus says, no, Father, I want you to remember that I've already paid the price for this sin. And And to get another payment would be a double payment because it's already been paid. So I don't ask for mercy for Randy. I ask for justice that this sin would be removed and wiped away because it's been paid in full, past, present, and future. It is finished. And when it was finished, it was finished. (laughs) That's what it means. It was finished. Just, he's just. 
the just and justifier. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. He will do it. You see, the work of the Spirit is to make the faithfulness of Christ so real to you that it calls you to faithfulness by the Spirit. The work of the Spirit is to make the faithfulness of Christ so real to you as we look at his faithfulness, it calls us to his faithfulness. Why? The verse we read in the beginning, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. We're looking for the Lord to change us, not externally, but from the inside out. Something has to be transformed. You have to be changed, not just the external practice. Now, I found out two years ago that I'm a type 2 diabetic. And you all know what that means. A lot of you struggle with it too. So, I love sugar. I mean, I've found that sugar makes just about everything better. I mean, most cornbread has sugar in it. Bread has sugar in it. You can't hardly find anything. I mean, you can, if you go to a good southern home cooking place, they put sugar in everything. They put sugar in the green beans. They put sugar in the cabbage. They put sugar in the broccoli. They put sugar in everything because we love sugar, and I love sugar. But it's killing me. So something had to change. Now, I can, by the work of my flesh, I can fight against it. But what really had to happen is that I had to change my mind. You see, I had to change my mind how I saw it. I didn't just see it as, ooh, the delight of sugar. I love cookies. Not Oreos. I'm not talking about a packaged cookie. I'm talking about a homemade cookie that's, you know, that's got pecans and chocolate and coconut, because I love coconut. You may not like coconut, so give me those cookies. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I delighted that. I, but I had to see that there's something in that beyond the taste, the flesh, more than just the glorification of the flesh, that that cookie has death in it. It's, there's, there's, a little, there's just a little bit of death mixed in. So I had to change my mind by how I think about those things. I don't think of them as, you know, they're going to bring me delight. No, they're going to kill me. And when do I have to do that? All the time. Because my flesh isn't dead yet. I still have an appetite, so I have to think about it all the time. But I have to change. So I cha I, the Lord helped me change my thinking. And this is what the Lord wants to do in transforming our thinking. He doesn't want you to just change your behavior because changing your behavior is always temporary. You can always go to the gym for a couple of weeks. But the only way you'll keep going to the gym is if there's some kind of transformation if you're not doing it to look better, but you're doing it to live. It's a big difference, right? Why are you doing this? Well, I'm doing this so I'll be buff. 
Well, that's good reason, but it's not going to last. Someday you're going to lose that. Why are you doing it? I'm doing it because I want to live. And that's where the, the work of the Spirit is within us, is that he wants to change not just the external oughts and shoulds. The Pharisees were better at the oughts and shoulds than we are. And he said, well, you guys are whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones. Something has to change internally, and it is the work of the Holy Spirit to let us see Jesus. And as we see the faithfulness of Jesus, that is, works as we meditate on it, and we pray about it, and we think about it, that it's transformative. It changes us, not just the external, I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to do better and try harder, but it changes our minds. It changes our hearts so that we can follow, empowered by the Spirit. We need the Spirit's help. Anybody here need the Spirit's help? Because we want to change. Lord, help us to change and be transformed, not to just manipulate our behavior, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and pray. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. What Jesus did for us is so powerful. He was so faithful. Even when we're not faithful, he remains faithful. Lord, you're so faithful. You have been faithful every day of my life. And even when I don't understand what's going on, you're still faithful. So, Lord, we just bring ourselves today to the transforming power of the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit would help us today, that you would show us, you would take what is yours, and by the Spirit, you would make it ours. You would give to us. You would take what is yours, and it would become ours by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would change us, you would transform us as we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. As we look to you, Lord, in your faithfulness, as we meditate on who you are, that you would transform us on the inside out so that we, like those knucklehead disciples, would be transformed and made in what you want us to be, powerhouses for the kingdom of God, transformed by the Spirit of God, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Isn't God good? Amen. I love you. Have a great week.